What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are those of your host and our guest. Today, we sit down with Buzz Lachowski. He is a division chief up in Sedona, Arizona, and if you don't know, it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet and is quite mystical. We talk about what it's like to work at a tourist destination and some of the challenges. We also talk about uh, the upside of that and, and what it's like to work in one of the most beautiful places in the world. And we talk about so much more. Enjoy. So, Buzz, thank you so much for taking an opportunity to sit down and chat with me. First of all, I love when we have an opportunity to just talk. And that's all I want to do today is just talk a little bit. And we had the opportunity. We're here at the uh, the CEOP conference, which is the Chief Executive Officer Program. What brought you? Know, <laughs> I can dive right in. Tell me about that, Buzz. <laughs> um, but I want to I want to talk about that a little bit. But I want to talk about who you are and um, some of the things that you're involved with. I know you participate with the Burn Foundation or Burn Camp and mm-hmm. and things like that. And those are all really you do a bunch of really cool stuff. Uh, in addition to your day job mm-hmm. um, as a fire chief, uh, as a fire division, D- division chief. I know when we talk yeah. rank, it gets a little muddy because <laughs> yeah, you guys, you're a f- three bugle. Uh, we're two. It's They say it's a lateral <laughs> from BC. Uh, it's not really. It's more responsibility, more work. Copy. Um, that's but what, still two. That's what I complain about, too. More responsibility. Yeah, more I'm work. not complaining. It's just the reality. <laughs> um, yeah, so divisions, chief. So, Buzz, tell tell us a little bit about tell my vast audience a little bit about yourself. <laughs> yeah, so thank you. And um, Buzz Lukowski, I work for the Sedona Fire District. Been there since 1997. Was a volunteer there. Um, kind of. How many years ago was that when you were a volunteer? That was in early '97 or somewhere in there. Yeah. And well, how, how did you land in Sedona? What's uh, Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Chicago. Oh, well, that's um, a far cry from Yeah, for Sedona. sure. So, yeah, we'll do uh, non-fire department stuff. Grew up in Chicago. Um, my family moved back and forth to Arizona a few times. My parents had come through. They drove from Chicago to the Grand Canyon on their honeymoon. And uh, they loved Sedona. They drove through sort of old Sedona, still sort of movie set Sedona at the time. Dirt roads everywhere, mm. no stoplights. It's changed a little. It's changed a little bit. So um, the hey, time. Do me, a, do me a favor. Tuck your collar under. Which one? That one. It's yeah. It's rubbing on the on oh, the chingus, and you can hear. So it. do. No, it's all good. Just like this. Is that how? Yeah, does that work? Okay, I don't know. Sorry. It's my tech. It's is not it too you. Much? It's me. It's not. Should you. I go this one? No, it's just that stupid cord catches it. Okay. We'll edit this out. Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good tactic though yeah. to not be like thinking about what I'm saying when you're telling me to manipulate <laughs> stuff. Um so yeah, we actually li- we lived in Buckeye, unincorporated Buckeye, God. um in the very early 80s for a little while. And then moved back to Chicago, came back when I was in high school. And uh then I immediately left the day after high school. Yeah. Because that's what part what- of Chicago? A northwest side, a neighborhood called Edison Park is where I was born. Chicago is an interesting city. Yeah. It's, uh, what was your favorite part about being in Chicago? I mean, as a kid, it, did you get around in town that much? Or? No, we, we lived um, primarily in um, one of the near northwest suburbs called Mount Prospect, kind of near Des Plaines, Illinois. Okay. And uh, going, quote unquote, into the city 
was this mythical Oz-like thing that we, you know, you didn't really go downtown much. You just stayed in your own little, yeah. little thing. Plus, you know, you're younger. You know, yeah. I wasn't driving at the time. Yeah, I wasn't didn't sure really if there's get much, in there. much uh, public transport. It's everywhere, yeah. for sure. I think if I would have been there while I was, the time period that I was here uh, at that age, I would have like embraced that a little more. Yeah. I didn't get really into that till I went back. Yeah. Because I went back there for college right. after high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, so I went to high school. I lived in, Co- I went to high school in Cottonwood, but lived in Sedona at the time with my mom and grew up in pre-boom Sedona for those those four years. And then uh, went to school in, in, the, uh, in Illinois for a while. I was wrestling in college. And then... Um, nice. Was that something you picked up in high school? Before that. In, in Illinois, and it seems like any cold weather place. Wrestling's bigger than, than not. Indoor, I mean, it's pretty sports. big here, but uh, yeah, you can just stay inside. So I wrestled when I, maybe fifth grade on. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. It's really big wrestling culture in yeah. that part of the world. And I wrestled here and then I went back to school there in um, a town called Kankakee, Illinois. And uh, it's actually where the Bears do their preseason stuff now, oh, the cool. college I went to. And then quickly came back. Um, well, hold on. Let's talk about collegiate wrestling okay. for a second. What's what's some of the, the the memory that stands out for you as a wrestler? Yeah, I was very surprised. Well, you go from and, and not to be te- self deprecating. I was mediocre. Could hang with some big wrestlers, you know. Okay. Um, went there, and you quickly go from big fish, small pond to like really world class competition there was several national champions on the team i was on one guy had wrestled in the pan am games right um they were just world class from all over so i didn't realize that college sports was your job (laughs) interesting okay i had the the college experience thing on my mind and um i actually chose schools based on if they had a wrestling program or not that was it because I figured the rest I could figure out. Okay. It had they all no, have a math class. It had nothing to do with academics. Yeah, every school yeah. has English and math. And, you know, like that part will solve itself. <laughs> totally. Can I wrestle? Uh, in fact, I went for, I took art classes then because I was going to be an art teacher. So I did English and art um, at the same time. But wrestling, um, you realize right away that humility is baked in, mm. in wrestling, even as a young kid. Oh, yeah. Uh, one false move. Doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't take a whole game to blow it. It yeah. could take one, um, especially at a higher level, one lapse of concentration even. Yeah. Um, one rhythmic step that they can pick up on and boom, you're on, you're, you're on your back really. Right. So when you go to a higher level, humility comes along with you're that. You get served it up sure. daily. <laughs> you get served up. And I was new. I was you know this freshman to this established program. And thankfully there were several freshman coming in of yeah. course but now did you come in on scholarship or like walk on or like what I was walked on I, I walked on with the um you know kind of wink handshake do, do this year okay um you know there was athletes graduating that it's a very underfunded sport yeah um and then partway through as, as they were going to go out we were going to get become some, the next scholarship money, yeah, yeah okay. it wasn't gonna be a lot yeah <laughs> and then that year they canceled the wrestling program at that school. Oh, you've got to be yeah, kidding Yeah, right me. at the end of it. Oh, and I had no idea entering bummer. in that that had been in talks for quite some time. Sure. 
So then I could not afford to go there anymore <laughs> at oh, all. So, no. and there was a girl, of course, and so I came always back to Arizona. Interest. Yeah, who's now my wife. So it all worked out. But yeah, college so, wrestling was amazing. But it was a full time job. Yeah, yeah how so? Sure. Well, that program—it's it's really all I know. But a lot of forced camaraderie, forced. Uh, like we woke up in the morning, they knocked on our door, the upperclassmen, and you ran. And then you went to school immediately after classes. You, we, we had a, uh, a study hall. We had practice. And then they would come to our random dorm rooms and wake us up to go for another run or to go lift after that. And this would be in the freezing cold of northern Illinois. Mm. And, uh, you know, just the rigors of it. Yeah. And, and I like that part of it. I love the, the tribe yeah. part. It probably prepared me for the fire department a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine I imagine it would. I, I know that, you know, in my experience watching wrestlers, uh, nobody seems to work as hard as wrestlers do. Again, I mean that sincerely. Like every sport works hard, especially mm-hmm. the collegiate level and, and above. Right? They work hard, but wrestlers put in a degree of work that is just so much more intense. And there's something about the other thing about wrestling, and this is what I've learned in in my limited experience doing jujitsu, is that it's you, you mm-hmm. and your opponent. There's no teammate to blame. There's mm-hmm. nobody else. What happens on that mat is between you and your yeah, opponent. For sure. And if you like you mentioned the concentration, right? That mm-hmm. that that focus when you're about to when you're about to, you know, touch you know, touch hands and go, like it's legit. Yeah, it it's um it's weirdly that way. It's only you. So the cause of maybe a team loss could mm-hmm. be you mm-hmm. if you don't provide the points through a win. But at the same time, you're going for a thing on your own also. Right. Because you have an individual standing and things too. Right. And no one's there. I can remember almost every time, this is so weird <laughs> as I look back, wishing the match would get canceled while I was entering the the, the mat. Like, hey, maybe I won't have to. <laughs> it was so weird. And then immediately just switched on. Yeah. But until then, I was just super nervous and anxious, like, oh, man, what's going to happen? Yeah. And then I'd step on and click. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard other wrestlers, high-level wrestlers, talk about, like, being flush with nerves and wanting to vomit. And I think about, like, the fight-or-flight response. Like, Mm -hmm. you are just so – your body is flooded with hormones and and, and anxiousness and in preparation for a – not to put too much pine on it, but, you know, a (laughs) life-or-death conflict. Right, yeah. you are about to go head to head, one on one, with a competitor who's trying to beat the pulp out of you. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's a vulnerability with it too. Yeah, that I can. I would never have said the word vulnerable then, oh. of course, but because you are now more vulnerable. <laughs> well, and it wasn't in the it wasn't in the vocabulary then. <laughs> um, but you're, you know, even even what you wear is very exposing. Uh-huh. You're um, to one way to lose is being on your back with someone else holding you there. I mean, there there's some pieces yeah. there. The more you are, say it, the less I want to talk about it. <laughs> They're like it's very preparatory for future conflict, probably, or avoidance of conflict. Uh, no, it was a great experience, though. I loved it. I still very dear friends. Yeah, that, well, that I lived through that. So, what's one thing you reflect on, and you like when you look back and you go, "Man, when I was tackling the mats every day, this stands out in your head." What's the takeaway? You have more left to work. Your capacity is still there when your brain tells you it's not. Mm-hmm. So you could be completely fatigued, 
to, to literally to the, you're probably already not eating well. It's the, one of the dirty secrets of that, you know, is trying to maintain weight. You, you really have the practices. They're inexplicable to someone who hasn't done it. Even other sports. Um, I'm sure there's hard ones, but I can't imagine yeah, right. a harder one. I've certainly never done a harder, a harder thing yeah. physically than that. So there's all these points where you go, yeah, I'm out. I'm done. I'm going to let go physically and yeah. mentally, you know, or even, oh, maybe he'll just take me down, you know, that kind of thing. And you, there's always more in the tank than your brain will let you. Yeah. You fool yourself and you have reserves. And that translate has translated since then for sure. Like if I'm running, because I'll trail run now, I'm always like, man, maybe just, maybe just a couple miles today. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, come on. You have, I know you have more. Even though there's many years since I was 18 years old wrestling. Right. So. But that's that's a really good point is when you are in that <clears throat> lowest. And I think this applies in a lot of ways, right? Um, when you are at that lowest point, there is always more that you can do. Yeah. You think you're done. You just need to reevaluate real quick. For what, sure. Take a breath, reset, and reengage. Because it's that yeah. space between your ears, that six inches between your ears, that really controls a lot of that. Yeah, I agree. The it's not just physical things. Yeah, right. Sometimes the the whatever you're being overwhelmed with, or you think your capacity is tapped out. Right. There's more. There's um, reframing. Yeah. Gaining new perspective. Yeah. The breath, the pause. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's definitely there. There's there's opportunity to right to step back a little. Well, oftentimes you talk about like the stress cycle, right? I was talking to someone else the other day. It's like being you know, we are biologically predisposed, right? We, we used to be chased by saber-toothed tigers. Mm -hmm. But now there is no saber-toothed tiger. So what is the thing that floods us with emotion, right? It can be anything. It can be a, a conversation with your spouse. It can be, you know, it can be stepping on a mat, you know, as in as a 50-year-old as a in a jiu-jitsu tournament, mm -hmm. right? Like there's these things that flood us. And that stress cycle has to take place. And if you're trying to make next step decisions in the middle of that stress cycle, yeah. you got to be careful because you can make an emotional decision, right? So For sometimes sure. you got to wait until the stress has worked through its cycle. The saber tooth tiger is gone. You've reset. Okay. Now I'm going to re-engage and think about next steps mm -hmm. or whatever. But we say things sometimes that get us in trouble in the middle of the, in the heat of the moment because we don't frame it correctly mm -hmm. and we don't step outside the emotion. Yeah. You can't be angry and smart at the same time. And that's because your emotions, right. like the rational brain, yeah, you know, you, you, it's hard to do math when you're super anxious. You know, you can't. It, that explains can't, it. Explains yeah. my whole elementary school <laughs> career. You can switch back and forth very quickly, but both at once, yeah. it, it, like your your brain does not do that. So yeah, same thing yeah. there. Uh, okay, so uh, so you left the wrestling mats, mm -hmm. came back, came out west. Yep, moved back, and, and you moved to Sedona or Cottonwood. He moved out way. He moved back to Arizona. If that area, northern Arizona, north central Arizona, okay. um, yeah. Verde Valley area. I probably lived in Sedona right then. Yeah. Um, interesting part, my mom, who's one of my heroes, driving force, she went back to college right then. Really? It was really neat. And so she she moved quickly. And then I think I couch surfed. <laughs> had a 67 Carmagia and nice. I sort of had everything I owned in that for a while and went from place to place working construction. Oh yeah. Um, and then, uh, 
then I went back, reconciled with my girlfriend, who I had horribly ghosted. Um, but she married me, wow. and we're still married. Nice. So um, then I went back to northern Illinois and lived with my sister, just just right next to O'Hare Airport. Like The planes came right in over our apartment <laughs> and shook everything. Oh, nice. And I went to uh, EMT class there. And took some fire science classes. What turned you on to that? I had wanted to do that even while in school for things like art. Like college was for the experience and to wrestle for me at first. That first iteration. When that wasn't working, I kind (laughs) of, sadly, I didn't like want to jump back in to that game of, you know, um, trying out and all that stuff anymore. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted to stay close. Yeah. But at the time, especially in northern Arizona, there wasn't any really quality fire science programs at the community college level. There was a few EMT things. So I went back there, and there's community colleges there, you know, practically uh, universities. They're so big. And I don't know what turned me on except just having that feeling of probably that eventually. Hmm. Um, I, I always wanted to teach something. I loved art. My mom's a really great artist. And then... Um, but I always wanted to do that and I, I don't, I, I can't put my finger on why at that time, yeah. um, in hindsight, I can think of the fulfillment I've gotten in things yeah. and say, Oh, yeah. that must be why, <laughs> um, or some of the decisions, the intervening decisions, I could probably say that's why I did those. But at the time I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. Um, we lived right by a firehouse when I was younger, like a kid. And I remember them jogging around the neighborhood and doing a couple of things. There like it that. is. Um, for sure. And we would go there and talk to them and stuff. Um, so, yeah. So, I went to school there. And my EMT instructor was the one of the first three Chicago fire paramedics that was on an engine at the Interesting. time. Interesting. Yeah. And that was, I think that was probably in 1993. Yeah. Maybe 1994. A man named Gunther. And I can't remember his last name, but amazing guy. Since, of course, retired. He was an old head even then. And he, he would tell us stories. This is uh, probably not what you're looking for, but they would uh, probably shouldn't. Well, now, now, you've set the, now you've set the trap. You have to tell the story. He would tell all these Chicago Fire stories of, you know, the, the antics and the runs. And, uh-huh. and that's really when I was like, whoa. Right. This is great. But at the same time, he... The water he was swimming against, the currents, Hmm. had to be as strong as anyone ever because this person, he loved EMS. Yeah. Loved it. And in that culture, they weren't really going ALS yet. This was the first few folks that they had put on engines at the time. And and since then, probably within five years, they got ambulances and things and, and went full ALS. But at that time, there was a handful I want to say he was the first paramedic on the engine, but I think he was in the first grouping of like a couple. Yeah. Um, But loved it and had a passion and this practical gritty, I don't know, just experience that he was a leader for sure. He had both and, you know, very personable, but the passion of the way he taught it to a, you know, 19, I think I was 19 or 20 then. It's just amazing. Well, so why didn't you, initiated career in Chicago. I, I, I loved the West again by then. 
I love the city. Nothing disparaging against the the Midwest or the big city Midwest. It the pace of the West southwestern arizona you know this part of the country arizona and then where i was at the time yeah. northern arizona was just what i was after yeah um when you had told me yesterday we were chatting and you were like you told me how you were driving back and forth from illinois in your carmen Ghia. yeah i was <laughs> that seems like a i'm just gonna say it a little hippy dippy <laughs> like you like you needed to be out west for sure although if you want to like get some second looks and some thumbs up and some you drive a 60s air-cooled thing in the winter in chicago people are like this guy is nuts <laughs> that's and pretty so hardcore it, it, it was pretty hardcore yeah but it you know it doesn't start all the time you have to like heat up the battery even to go it's not not awesome um <laughs> and at the time you know it was it, i just didn't know the thing you know eventually you realize right. there's especially then there was there's a lot of like secret handshake this is the system if you, mm. you know this guy know that guy i didn't know that that was a thing right i just thought people got a job and so i thought oh i'll just take these classes and go back to arizona and go Oof. get a job right and there it's it was even more like you'd hear stories a lot of people were naysayers about it you know at the time i think chicago the city of chicago's list had been in place for i want to say almost a decade or more oh okay um and so there's like always mitigated barrier to entries and yeah. Yeah, and there was and the suburbs were great. I went to classes with a lot of guys that were already in in the suburbs. I didn't I was so, so immature at the time and unwise. I didn't know like, oh, I should get to know these guys to and say how do I do this? In fact, I wasn't um when I was thinking about talking to you today, the uh I wasn't good at that part of saying I need help with a thing. Right. I don't think I'm good at it still. <laughs> and for years, I wouldn't do anything like that. I'd be like, I'm going to figure this out for myself. You know, it was right. super, super silly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Then went back and um, I got married. Work construction, got married in Sedona. And then worked in a manufacturing company while trying to plug away at school yeah. still. And... Uh, Started volunteering in Sedona to get the experience. Never thought I would stay there ever. Um, was testing in the West. Kind of didn't want to be in the, no offense to anyone, in the Valley very much. So I was going to Utah and different places like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then in Northern Arizona, Prescott, Sedona. And then Sedona was about to transition to a mostly career department yeah at that was time it, was it kind of volunteer with paid on call heavy or? volunteer um and some full-time with i think there was six people per day and our area of response is the same as it is today oh wow uh, i mean it's 270 square miles or something granted the visitors weren't as great uh in, in volume and then the, the call volume was probably still probably two-thirds what it is today they still ran a lot yeah um it's not a lot compared to many places but with six people you just yeah um augmented by volunteers it was really a volunteer system augmented by paid paramedics at the time interesting um, yeah so you got on in 98 you said yeah it, i worked um 97 to 99 was full-time in 99 Copy. and then in 2001 Chief came in from uh, Orange County, California, hmm. 
uh, Orange County Fire Authority, and he hired 10 people the next year, 10 people, 10 people, and then um, that was sort of the transition out. Um, they kept transitioned volunteers to reserves. It was huge political situation. Yeah, I In fact, bet. at the time, I was being the ambulance and people would be, are you paid or not? I mean, it, it was that way. And, like uh, the community, like people you're transporting? Yeah. Are you one of these union career guys? You know, it was that kind of thing. And, um, well, and be and like, tell, oh. tell people a little bit about the community of Sedona if, if you feel comfortable. <clears throat> sure. Um, then, just quickly set the stage, uh, much more, a, a much younger community then. And when I was younger, it was much, much um, a lot more families, a lot more working families. You could live there. The tourist thing was always a thing, but since then, it has really been discovered internationally. Mm. So that changed everything with the, like everywhere, housing market probably blossomed. Yeah. And <laughs> even in like 2000, 2001, I want to say like a double wide trailer on. Sixteenth of an acre was 180 grand or something like that. Even then, so we lived in Sedona for a little while and then moved to Cottonwood, where I live now. But you know, recreational tourism, a lot of religious curiosity um, with the New Age movement stuff is there, which has since turned into there's a lot of that like commercialization of alien tours and things like that. But interesting, <laughs> yeah. So, which is great. Um, if the alien people are listening, <laughs> <clears throat> they are for sure. Hundred <laughs> percent. They're for trolling sure. for the word, <laughs> disparaging comments against alien tours. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, mountain biking, hiking, yeah, Jeep tours, the all terrain, you know, UTV side by side game today. Yeah, that's um, from a fire department standpoint. That's what we do. We're charged with all the backcountry rescues, kind of like uh, Simba, like all you can see. Right. That's kind of how our district lies. Anything you can see, we're going to respond to, um, whether it's in our district or not, frankly, because no one's coming. Right. So we partner with the two sheriff's offices a lot and go yeah. out there, mostly for the recreational tourism. So. Well, how many mountain rescues are you guys doing in a year-ish? It's It's got to be 200 and something. Yeah. I bet it might be more than that. Lots of, I mean, lots of walk downs off of. Yeah, we steeps. do a lot of carry outs, a steep angle. Yeah. The high angle, of course, are less, but there's a fair amount of that. Yeah. A lot of uh, helicopter use, long line, mm. short haul stuff. Yeah, I could, every I could see folks. Yeah, I could see folks. It's easy to get up some of those, some of the slick rock, you know, stabby yeah, type sure. stuff. It's easy <laughs> to get up it, but then you turn around and look down. And you're like, oh, whole yeah. new game. Yeah, that's the theme for yeah, sure. That that makes sense to me. Yeah. And a lot of that area you can drive to. Right. One of my theories is people can get out of their car and walk directly to a thing. I think they minimize the risk mm -hmm. and you can get in very deep, well beyond your ability, your your physical ability, your understanding, your yeah. water volume, your cell phone battery amount. Yes. Quickly get in, in trouble. Yeah. Sure. And oh, that, that that's makes, what we do. Yep. If you can drive sense. to it. I think it just creates more where if I have to plan and backpack and gear up to different person, a whole different person though. Yeah. We do those, but those are, those are usually 
the mid-level experience level at least. Yeah. You know? Or they suffer an accident. Correct. Right? Or, yeah, or it's traumatic or, or true medical emergency and not right. just a, I shouldn't have been here maybe. <laughs> and I, I love that people go, I'm never – this now sounds like a disclaimer, uh-huh. but yeah, walk it back. <laughs> I get because people often ask, yeah, what do you think about all these tourists? And it's like a baiting thing, right? Right. Well, per, I think this would be even the agency I work for's position. I get if someone has waited maybe their entire life to visit a place like Sedona and they, they saved money for years. If it's 110 and they have the little bottle of water from the hotel. Yeah. I get that. They're probably going to go hiking. Do I agree? No, but I get it. Yeah. And so I'm never, I'm not like that. I I try not to judge the intent of them. They didn't intend for us to rescue them. I guarantee that part. So I don't mind so much. I'll tell you the thing. So when I come up and visit your neck of the woods, the thing that drives me the craziest or what rolls through my head that I think (laughs) must drive you bananas is the traffic. And those roads are tight. And I'm like, man, if there was any kind of emergency, it's going to take them yeah, yeah. forever to <laughs> respond. It right? does, yeah. Yeah. And oh, the, what a uh, with all the roundabouts, yeah, you can't pull over in a circle. Right? <laughs> yeah. Traffic planners out there. Well done. Um, it's not, yeah, it's just not made for that. So, we, you yeah. know, they have like rolling curbs and we go, but it'll take... Between two of our stations, as a battalion chief, it'll take you an hour to go about four miles sometimes. That's awesome. I mean, a lot of times to get yeah. back. So we we look at the traffic flow of who's moving where, um, especially for training and other things like that. Backup units, we'll just say stay there because right. it's going to take you an hour to get back. It's not even worth it. It's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, it's one of the things that's fascinating me as I have an opportunity to sit and talk to, to folks from different parts of the country and, and whatnot is just the the challenges of response model based on the, the geography, mm-hmm. based on the, the community kind of um, uh, the, the nuances of the community, sure. like, like tourism, yeah. like you don't think about that in other places. Like in, you know, in, in the Valley here, you think about rush hour traffic, right? Mm-hmm. How's that going to jam you up? And how's that going to impact response times or call volume? How does call volume affect response times? Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you're out of service so much or, like out west in the Western Valley, you have these long response times just because you have uh, you have a large community, but they're spread out. So mm. you have silos of pockets of communities sure. with lots of undeveloped land in between. So response times in between areas is long. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting the dynamics that affect us. Um, and as, sure. a, as a chief officer, when you have to wrestle <laughs> with some of these things, right, you oh, start yeah. thinking about how it affects you For and sure. how do you fix it, right? What do you do about it? It's a tough question. Yeah, and it... Sometimes it puts you on a posture, I think, too much. This is just me. That you're preparing too much for the next one because of some of those mm. idiosyncrasies with us, like like the traffic. Mm-hmm. The center of that community is always jammed with cars. So I would find myself hedging my bet on the next one versus bringing everyone into the scene as readily, staging sooner. Right. Um and it's, you know, you're, you're sort of, we also don't have there thousands of resources. No one's coming. <laughs> Sedona's sort of an island too, operationally. Oh, we right. have, we have wonderful partners and, and near neighbors, Yeah, but no one's coming. Yeah. That's, it, it's definitely a, um, it's not an auto aid situation. It's much more like mutual aid. 
for us right. to get someone because right. the distance is for them to get there. Yeah, but sure. even mutual aid is still it's a ways, a long ways out. And they're busy too. I mean, that whole Verde Valley area is really growing. Right. They got their own problems. They got their own problems for sure. <laughs> so yeah, so we, yeah, it's unique and it's yeah. cool. The um, the neat part about working there is the um, everyone's in on anything big. Yeah, and the diversity of calls. So yes, we do the repeat user we go into their house over and over like everywhere yeah we do the slip trip fall thing we do the hotel alarm sounding thing a lot because there's so many resorts but the same person might be on that high angle rescue jump on the utv across town and go down a dirt road for the utv roll over there and then come back for the brush fire the whatever so it's pretty diverse and everyone gets to share that. So that's cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Yeah. I, I remind myself, I heard one time someone say late that, you know, someone had told them, Hey, every time you do something, remember that first day on the job, you know? And so someone did it when they were brushing their teeth and they were like, just be grateful. This is remember that feeling sort of live your interview. Yeah. Right. And I, I think of that all the time. I like, don't, you know, you live by the beach. You don't go to the beach much, right? Yeah. You, yeah. You, you forget that you're in this beautiful place that people really are excited to be at. Right. And that's when I sense it can become just a job. Right. But if you look around, you're like, whoa, this might be all the same things everyone deals with in the fire service. But look at this place. Look where I get to do it. Yeah. We get to do it almost in like a <laughs> national park setting. Yeah. You know, I joke like... um uh, a third of my life I've spent in my, in my uh, part-time residence, which are the fire stations in right. Sedona, right? So right. it's pretty cool. You look out your window there. <laughs> my resort house. <laughs> yeah, totally. Or you're, you're cooking on the patio. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing yeah. for sure. Damn. It's beautiful. Now I'm jealous. Come on up. And now I'm hating you. <laughs> it's great. It's, awesome. it's fun. Uh, well, so, t- so tell me... Um, in your tenure, like what are some of the things that you've done, the highlights of your career positions or assignments or things like that, that have been a highlight for you? Hmm. Personal highlights that might not be, you know, newsworthy. Probably we, we don't do full, you know, 12, 16 week academies. You have to come with everything pretty much mm-hmm. still. We're talking about consortiums and stuff. fire one and two and fire all one and two hazmat. Um, EMT at least. Right. That's still our model though. Everyone's talking, uh, new ways to do that just like us. So yeah, it's not as feasible now for people to walk in that with that. So for many, many years, I assisted with the, with testing and built testing processes. And then that our orientation period, um, I've always loved that trying to get people up to speed and with our way in just a couple of weeks, super challenging. Um, but that would not be on the headline at all. Yeah. Um, did you do that as a, like a training captain or no, just on the as a firefighter firefighter? Yeah. Nice. And then as a captain in our organization, a lot of it, a lot of things are forced downward cause there's a yep. very, even today, very, um, thin administration top, uh, chief yeah. officer pool for yeah. sure. So we, a lot of autonomy and large, large projects, including budgets, can be managed um, to great effect, at, even at the firefighter level. Yeah, sure. that's one of the really cool things about small organizations mm-hmm. is the opportunity to be uh, more involved yeah. with 
uh, project management or mm-hmm. program management and those types of things. It's, it's preparatory. Very, very cool. And it's very preparatory for moving up. You've yeah. already seen behind the curtain. Right. You're starting to experience those challenges of the ask. Right. You know, you come in with a great idea as a firefighter at the table when your BC sits there. Now you have to go, oh, I had to write up, in essence, a business plan for my idea. Right. You I mean, can't just be the good idea fairy. You can't. You actually have to show you up with, tell us, like, that's a great idea, Frank. Uh, why don't you go make that shit happen? Yeah. Hey, junior BC, like, good job. But now we have to actually put our money where our mouth is. Right. So that's been, that was really preparatory. Yeah. Um, I think the most challenging time, I was our operations chief for a while as a division chief which is the number two guy, though you're called division chief. During a time of transition, um, we had many, many chiefs in my tenure there, mm-hmm. and um, which just led to you're just riding one wave after another of uncertainty and change and philosophy, mm. um, and then add cultural changes, economic changes, in those dips and high points and yeah. it's just a lot of uncertainty. The just felt like we were, we've been skating on thin ice for many years there. Mm. Um, in, in what way you, it, there's just that feeling of un, uncertainty of what's coming next. How long are you going to stay? Okay. What are you going to change? If that happens, right. I mean, I, every three to five years right. for 27 yeah. Yeah. years, what's this knucklehead going to do? It's kind yeah, of that can, way. Yeah, Cause there's the, that there's the needed grace period right. on both parts, right? I'm yeah. getting to know you. Hopefully mm-hmm. we're getting to know whoever the new person is coming in and, right. and then let's form a plan together. Hopefully we, a lot of times we never got to that. Um, so there was one of those times and I <laughs> was actually a very new BC for various reasons, thought that was what was best. It's not hundred percent altruistic, but I thought it would be best for us as an organization yeah. And I thought with my personality, I could help there too, for sure. Just kind of like tend to be hopefully a peacemaker guy and number two guy. I think I could I do well at that. That worked for a while. Yeah. And and we, you know. Well, as as a number two, it's it's really, especially when you have that kind of transition taking place, it seems like it puts a lot of pressure on you to hold the line, right? Here's the yeah. expectation in our organ, you know, here's here's the organizational culture. Mm-hmm. Here's the the things that we do as an organization, and to try to hold some of those sacred cows in place. Yeah, uh, when a new boss comes in. Yeah, and there was the we we're on the heels of the the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this would have been a lot of uh, a lot of grassroots efforts across our world. Our business were taking effect right then. Mostly, and this is from a lot of those folks, because they could not affect change at the higher levels. So they would localize it, things like no negative, but like Tea Party movement, stuff like that. And that really came in strong to Sedona um, or was there and then just manifested. Right. And so we we had hundreds of people at our board meetings, which is not true. We've had arrests at the board meetings during that time. So it was very volatile economically, which added to uncertainty. Right. You now you have a new person, which is the fifth new person in Who's 10 years. Who's trying to figure it out. And they were doing <laughs> doing their best. And here yeah. you are, number two. And it's like, what's that guy doing? How come he's this? Sounds like he's pandering. It's like, well, he has to keep his job in order to make change. So I, I, I it was a feast of learning yeah, <laughs> and getting to know a person in, in like a real 
topsy turvy kind of time. Yeah. For sure, so, so what's what's something that you would you know, it, looking back on that, what's a takeaway for you that was like, okay, here's something I learned that is really tangible for you. I think I would. No, I know I would. <laughs> I would have met with the fire chief at the time more with our team, which was only a couple people and just really asked harder questions. Um, Cause it's hard to, and, the, and no disrespect f- towards him or what went on, but it's like, if I felt like I was doing damage control a lot. Mm-hmm. Most of it was cause I just didn't understand the end game. Mm. So I think on both of our parts, I think we would write down if we had today, what were you about? What do you think we should, we probably would have the same list. Oh, you know what I mean? But yeah. I, I, I just felt like there was a disconnect and, so I would ask more pointed questions, yeah. um, truth to power, which we've talked about this yeah. week in class. Yeah. Um, and not because I was right. It just gets, it's worth the discussion. Yeah. So I was very uncertain. Definitely got to that position way sooner than I was prepared for. So I was treading water myself while also trying to a effect change, hang on tightly, not lose the floor, help as the good number two all in this time where people are just asking us how much the fire engine costs and why we have that one every time we get off a call, you know, that whole thing that was going on that time, you know? Well, the thing that occurs to me, uh, a Brene Brownism comes to my head, which is clear is kind. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, you get into an, into the exec staff and you have to be willing to have hard conversations and ask real, real questions. And, and, you can't let your, you know, you got to subjugate your ego and, and lean in. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, organizationally, if I can stretch this out to a kind of an entire fire department, you have to create a culture where we're able to have those kind of dialogues, yeah. right? A firefighter should be able to come to their captain and say, hey, I have a really hard conversation that might, or hard question to ask that might make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in the middle of a firefight, yeah. right? Not maybe. Definitely not in the middle of a firefight. Let sure. me be clear about that. But when you come back to the station, if you don't understand the way something's done or why something's done, you should be able to have that conversation. And company officers need to be able to look at their firefighters and say, hey, what questions do you have? Mm-hmm. Am I being clear? Because if not, maybe I'm saying it in a way that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. I'm using language you don't get or or I'm not saying anything, yeah. right? Just follow my lead. I've heard so many people say, I'm just going to lead by example. Mm-hmm. That's great, but what if people aren't? picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. I'd say especially with the diverse workforce, right? Your example isn't as apparent as you think a yes. Yeah. (laughs) You're you're not as consistent as you think all of us. Yeah. B (laughs) and everyone learns at their own pace by different means. Right. Some aren't soaking things in. Yeah. So you have to do the both. And yeah, I think also what came to mind was the tempo Mm -hmm. at that time in the world new person coming in, new leadership, and all of us hang on for dear life economically, yeah. even in a, in a pretty affluent community. We, I would have, I think we should have, and I, I should have been a bigger player in just helping to control the tempo of our actions. So there's discretionary time almost always, especially if you work in an office. Yep. You might work for the fire department. Now, personnel whatever safety things of course all stop let's figure this out but even those 
there's time built in there for you to do what's right, sit down and think about it, grab people that are the expert. And we didn't do that very well during that time, myself included. We just kept trucking and, ah, let's figure this out on the run. And that I've learned the tempo control thing in many areas of my life operationally, but in the office, in that setting administratively, strategically, the things you think are imminent probably aren't as imminent. Um, and they can't drive you. You have to control that tempo as much as you can. Sometimes you can't. Yeah. Um, but that, that was a key, key thing during that time that I think just kind of blew, blew up that situation yeah. <laughs> a little bit. I, I think that's so important to it, to be able to identify when and what, when you have discretionary time and when you do not. Yeah. I had a, an old fire chief tell me, uh, there is no light bar in your office. Mm-hmm. That's great. I was like, Oh, that makes good sense. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't, he don't, don't respond to somebody who walks into your office with a problem. Like you just got sent on a call, yeah, but we're, we're wired, right. To respond and solve problems in 15 to 20 minute mm-hmm. segments. <laughs> um, but that doesn't work in the real world. Yeah. Right. I've been trying for 30 years to work that stuff out on my wife like that. And it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. She's, stand by honey. You're right. What? I got this. So she's like, listen, idiot. Um, so, you know, learning that lesson, you right. Getting in my office and realizing, Hey, uh, when an email comes in and you know, somebody shoots me an email or a text message, take a breath. Step outside the circle of emotion and go, okay, what's really happening here? What's mm-hmm. the big picture? Who are my stakeholders, right? Who does this affect? What are the, what are the consequences of who, why are they asking this question or pushing mm-hmm. this issue, right? Really think about the big picture mm-hmm. because they didn't just come running in with that problem for no reason. There's a lot going on there and it's more than is a, than meets the eye. So yeah. give your, do yourself a favor and take some time to really understand the whole the the whole scene that's taking place. Sure, and it's not unreasonable for you mm. to have an ex for, for the person walking in to have an expectation that this doesn't have to happen right now. But we yeah. take it that way. Yes. Well, we have to start setting that expectation. I think so too. Yeah. And another one. Articulate that. Right. Thank you. Just so you know, I'm gonna take some time on this because it's yep. a worth it. Yep. Probably gonna make a bad decision right now. <laughs> I was in the middle of something else, so I'm distracted. Right. I think the tempo of the world too is making us think everything is important. Yes. I, we've lost a lot of people, myself included, have lost like how to prioritize things. Everything seems important. My watch goes off, must be important. I can look at it and go, nah. But in that moment, it was so important that I look. Yeah. All those things create this um, false sense of urgency. And then that's that just parlays into work, of course, especially when you care about work. Yeah. We fool ourselves into thinking that's what caring looks like. Mm. But 100% engagement isn't um, the the metric for do I care about my job, right? I mean, 100% 24 hours a day, right? Right. But we act that right. way because we want to do well. Sometimes it feels like that's what's necessary or someone's telling us or, or right. a model, right? Like hyper-performance mm-hmm. in the world is not a good model Right. For all of us. Cause it, it's just right. unsustainable. Mm, yeah. Um, that's the bummer with perform well, but this hyper performance culture thing, I think it, I think it's not great. It's, it's burnout. It's yes. a badge of honor for I'm up at four o'clock. What were you doing? You know, that there's some of that that is not good because 
the saber-toothed tiger is not chasing us, A. Yeah. Right? Can't treat everything like a wartime mentality. That's just, you'll lead, you'll you'll be burnt out. Yeah. So, oh, there's so much there I want to talk about. So, I want to go back just a second. Yeah. There's a, I saw a sign a bunch of years ago that said, poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. <laughs> and I think about that in terms of our, how we communicate today. So, we'll send a text message and or you'll send somebody an email and then you'll get it. You'll get, <laughs> this happened to me recently. I got an email mm-hmm. and then I got a text message that said, did you get my email? <laughs> and I'm like, hey, man. That makes me anxious thinking of that. Settle down. Yeah, right? And I have done that. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you all of it on this text, but read my email. Did you Have you looked yet? Did you get like, it yet? How unreasonable is that? I don't well, care what you were doing right, is what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> right. So I have a good friend who was a, a dentist who managed a, a medical practice with doctors and, and dentists, et cetera. Uh-huh. And he said they had to actually write a policy that explained the rules of engagement for communication. Mm-hmm. So if I text you, you, that means... Um, I need to talk to you and then like, I need you to respond in like 24 hours. Mm-hmm. If I call you, it's an emergency. Mm-hmm. Like I need to talk to you That's right great. now. And if I email you, you have a day or two. Like, so let's all st- creating like agreed upon rules mm-hmm. for communication because they were so quick to violate one another's, uh, you know, time. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, you know, someone the other day was like, uh, you know, when people will call you and say, Hey, is now a good time to talk? Like, I don't know. No, it's not like you're calling me when it's convenient for you, not for me. Correct. And so I remember, okay, this is going to be kind of, uh, (laughs) years ago I reached out to a chief. He had told me, Hey, I'm here to help you. If you ever want mentorship, blah, blah, blah. I will help. I will help you. Great. And then, so I was like, okay. So I reached out to him and he never responded. I got so mad because I was like, Hey man, you said <laughs> you would help me. Yeah. Well, I realize now that uh, he was probably busier than a one-legged man in a bucking contest and just didn't have the bandwidth. He really wanted to be there for yeah. me, but didn't have the space. And so I think about like, we all have to try to have a little bit of empathy mm-hmm. and recognize hey, the person we're communicating with has limitations and has, you know, other things going. So be mindful of that and, and ask them. You know, hey, how is the best way for me to communicate with you? Sure. You know, for certain things, what have you? What's a reasonable expectation? Be clear about yeah. it. For sure. You're going to be, you're going to take little bitternesses away when they do not respond on <laughs> right. your terms, though you've never shared those yeah, expectations exactly. with them. Exactly. Like that's, we chase that all the time. Like yeah. this guy and vice yeah. versa, especially yeah. different ship, different schedules yeah. within an organization. Right. The expectations are vastly different. And I'm just going to put this out to the world. If you have reached out to me and I I didn't get back to you, it's not because I don't like you. Um, Just nudge me again. Yeah. And I will respond. I promise you. I just, uh, I lose. I didn't realize how quickly you can lose a series of texts. Right. When your phone blows up, next thing you know, it's 25 texts down. Yeah. I I experienced that all the time. Yeah. Okay. So no more excuses about that. But I just... (laughs) I, uh, you touched on something else, which was, you talked about the, um, burnout mm-hmm. and I feel like this is something that can happen at any level, right? We over-engage and you talked about it in terms of kind of work-life balance is what I heard you talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. But what about just the, what about the dude who's working on dude or dudette working on a fire truck and they're, they're just constant staffing like crazy. And, you know, what does burnout look like to you? In that 
context of well, them. I mean, yeah, in any context. Or for me. I think, I think it, it <laughs> manifests itself the same for everybody, but. Yeah, the cause is varied, right? Yeah. If I if I come in with my cup full, yeah, maybe a quarter of an inch on top, and then I add all these things, yeah, you might not know my hey, baseline, right? It's okay though. I was told to leave my stuff at. I was told to leave my personal oh, stuff yeah. behind. Don't don't yeah. <laughs> don't get me started. No, I'm that, trying to get that, you started. And that's before. the bummer of today. <laughs> yeah, because. We're all walking on jello. That's what it feels like to humanity. Hmm. The pace of change, uncertainty, add economics, politics, recent wars. I might not be in a place like um, Israel today, but we feel that um, for right, wrong, or indifferent. Don't want to, like, it's not a media problem. It's just a world thing, right? Mm -hmm. Now add. Um, how much, uh, especially a job like ours, yeah. dealing with ambiguity is the, it's it's like the um, the water we're swimming in. Yeah. So that adds a level of stress. So now my cup's getting even more full. Yeah. Um, so the, the worldwide effect of it, we're coming in full where everyone's two incomes to pull this life game off now. Um we all have the kids that eventually become teenagers, you know, or the new baby, or maybe the twins. Oh no. And, um, or yeah, I mean, that's a wonderful thing, but that's a stress. We'd be lying. So then we, we do bring it to work. You, there's, you can't turn it off. You cannot it's separate a human yeah. being from their experience. It's a nice idea. It would be cool. It's a nice idea. But then we want that robot that you expect to show up right. to be a human to Mrs. Smith. Right. Or whomever at the other end. And that you, you just can't do that. Because yeah. now I've left empathy at home also. Yeah. I've left my team mentality at home. Because that robot person can't pull those things off. They're just not going to care about yeah. gelling with a team and working together. And right. collaborating and serving. They're just not going to. Um, so, yeah, the burnout piece. Um, I would say many people are there when they're walking in the door. Not as an excuse, hmm. much more than when I was younger and starting or when you were younger and starting. Yeah. It's just how the world has changed and it's not right or wrong. It's just the reality. And we have to be prepared for that as leaders. Right. right. Like you can gripe about those things and go, oh, this place and the media and texting and this generation or whatever. It doesn't matter. You're wearing the shirt that says this is now your thing. And by the way, that human being is yours too. I think sometimes in those debates, we lose that it's our charge to mm. care for these people while helping them care for the community that we're serving Right in that debate because it ends up being blamestorm. Right. And, oh, you've never heard how I got it. This one guy, you know, that's the worst thing ever, especially modeling it as a leader. Yeah. So I think people are coming in partially flooded. Flooded. It may not yeah. be burnout. And then our expectation of people is based on a model. As far as how much they're going to work, how hard they're going to work, the extracurricular fire department things that may have been among a generation like ours where I'm going to, I'm going to go door to door for the political initiative, for the local, I'm going to do these things. Oh, there's a drowning prevention thing that, you know, I used to go to when I was red shirt or whatever the case may be. Um, we're tagging those things because we did it that way right? without articulating clearly, clear as kind. 
the new expectation or that, sorry, that was my old expectation. They come in and we don't tell them that. And then we go, guess what? You're not going home today. But I thought I only work whatever your schedule is. No, 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 no. Some butts in the seats. Yeah. You got to stay. But what about my Mando? Here you go. Totally. And now I'm stuck yep. here. Yep. So naturally I, I would say even like a newer firefighter or anyone in emergency services is like, man, this isn't really what I signed up for. They we're not waving that flag mm. in the Academy or in the hiring process. How many days are you willing to work in a row is not an oral board question. Uh, so I would say, I don't think it's far off there. We're all coming in fuller than we were. Yeah. It doesn't take as much. And then add whatever the reason, new expectations for the workforce yeah. or that they bring to work. Yeah. They want to be at home. They want to have children. They want to have a balanced life. These are the things we were telling our former administrations and cities that we are demanding. What about us? Now they're doing it. And it's almost like we're mad. <laughs> That they're not doing it the way we did yeah. a generation before. Yeah. So I, I know that's all over. Yeah. Well, what do you, so what do you do? So I know we all like the firefighter coming in, right? What are some things that you do or have done to help pour your cup out? Personally? Yeah. You have varied things um, with varying levels of effect, right? Um, and I will, let me throw this in there too. This is something that I have to revisit all the time because as much as over the years, I feel like I've lived a very, uh, I've, I've managed it pretty well, uh, you know, at different times, mm -hmm. but I always have to come back and, and revisit because a new stress will come in and something different, something changes. So anyways, it just, yeah, I, I too, um, I experience that <laughs> daily sometimes yeah. multiple times throughout the day. Right. Um, seems like whenever you resolve to do a thing, that's the day you can't pull it off even a little. Right. <laughs> uh, so, um, it's interesting. You ask, it feels like a setup. I feel like I've talked to you about this before, but I haven't. It's weird, <laughs> but, um, listen, there are no tricks here. It's not a setup. The, I've, and I can say that I've always been the mental health wellness person, mm. um, for others. Mm -hmm. early CISM team transition to peer support. It's still a, a, one of the things that is within my division that I love um, modeling that to provide more levels of care based on the need actually, instead of a prepackaged program um, though, I never did the things for me. It seems like now that seems very cliche. You hear these stories, but that is the truth. I'll be the first one to, Say, we need funding <laughs> and uh, maybe tap my palm, not a fist <laughs> pounder, but um, and really advocate for and sell at the kitchen table, station visits, whatever, that that's what's required. Yeah. Always been very open about that and never did anything about it. Now, I'm a, um, a spiritual person. Um, I have faith, which has helped. Um, it's really the, the compass. But the stickiness or and the stickiness of former lives, early life, adult life, all, all the things that happen to you and then add our job. Yeah. Um, that sticky stuff, it fogs all that and blurs it. So yeah. um, 
many iterations. One thing that uh, I, I started realizing, and this is really just a few years ago, um, that I was full and I was winging it. A person uh, told me one time, and I, I, can't, I can't even attribute it to him, but they, they said, are you, we talk about this balanced life, but you can look balanced, but you're really putting so much effort into balancing mm. to make it look like you're balancing. So I picture like someone who's just like their every muscle and fiber, every ounce of strength is trying to keep this thing together. That's not balanced, but from a way it looks balanced. I think I was that still in many ways. <laughs> so interesting. Um, I started running. I've always, I always hated running cause it was how you got in shape for wrestling and things like that. Um, and how you were punished for <laughs> yeah, it was non-compliance. Run to that mountain and back, right? So um, I liked the solitude of it. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, an, an extroverted appearing person, which I think I am. I love people. People fill me up. But when I'm done, it has the opposite effect. Yeah. So the solitude of being on, especially trail running, yeah. um, and live in the perfect spot for that really started helping me. There's also some things, um, after talking to some mental health folks about it, the bilateral movement of a run mm. where your head is bobbing and your arms are moving opposite your legs and things similar to things like EMDR. Interesting. Um, it doesn't reprocess, you know, there's more to that, but it can have that same feeling and you don't have to think much when you're just in that groove or the, the flow, right? Which yep. would be the hope. Yep. So, and then it was hit or miss, like just enough. And then uh, one of my favorite people ever who had the greatest positive effect in the shortest amount of time was uh, Jeff Pichura. Mm -hmm. And uh, he worked in Sedona for just really a short period of time. I knew him a little beforehand, stayed in touch until he died afterwards. When he died, it really threw me for a loop. Cause he was my guy. Yeah. Hey, I'm about to do that. I'll call pie. I still have those experiences. It's, it's very interesting to start a new position. And I had that inclination to like, let have, him know. You don't have your guy. Don't have that guy. I have other guys, but he was, yeah. he just embraced me. Didn't have to at all. And really helped me out. Like immeasurably. So when that happened, I couldn't, I'd always been pretty rational. Add that to my faith. I could logically put things in boxes and say, this is why things are happening. There's bigger things at play than me. Yeah. And that one, I, it, I just couldn't see past very well. Mostly because in my opinion, he poured, he poured himself out for others. And I was the participant or the recipient of that. So mm. that one threw me through a loop and I was pulling it off. And, uh, and I just said, that's it. And I had gained some weight. of course, at the time so I'm like, I'm going to start running again. <laughs> And I did, and I did a little run and then another run. And I, I could just tell that that became my new calm place. Right. Um, and so I still do that. Um, that's where it happens. So then fast forward, the uh, we recently have a contract with a new mental health uh, organization and uh, to pretty good success already. Just started in July. Always an advocate. And I went to a counselor for the first time ever in July of this year. 
It's actually pretty moving to think about. I'm proud of it. Yeah. I've always been proud of the idea and you don't realize um, the masks and that you're pulling it off. Now I wasn't losing it, but I was, I could just tell, you know, similar to like the, that Victor Frankl quote that we talked about today, the, the space between stimulus and response. That's where growth, that's where, that's where the money is in life. The rest you can't really do much about. And and I felt like there was no time between those things. It would be stimulus response, stimulus response, and uh, not anger necessarily, but just short, just isolation, just stay away kind of stuff. That it's funny in hindsight. I'm like, oh, I was totally doing all these things. So started going, and uh, to it's just been a really good experience. I was surprised that I would be how awkward that would feel. Mm-hmm. Having been this overt advocate, hey, what do you, you know what you ought to do, yet not practicing what I was preaching. So those two things, um, interesting side bit, uh, especially being fire fit with family fit would hopefully come with that. So it really opened up opportunity. My wife and I are very close. We really are best friends. Opportunities to talk to her about things I've never talked to her about too as a result of uh seeing a counselor and stuff too yeah so i mean the, the fruit is there still going yeah i think there's <clears> tremendous <throat> value and i don't think we should wait until we're feeling it or symptomatic for lack of a better expression right i don't think we should wait um yeah if you're in this business you should just go to therapy yeah there's nothing uh, wrong with it and it's actually good for your brain and you can work through stuff you can and you know past traumas, future traumas, you can prepare for trauma, build resiliency, come up with tools and, and, you know, kind of identify things that are, that will be successful for you Mm -hmm. and process that stuff. So, yeah, I um, agree. I think it's build wrong still in our business. Yeah. yeah. Trauma, trauma, trauma. I think we just need to go. Yeah. You you know, you don't have to be broken to to get a little tune up. Um, Just go talk, try it out. The, the, the bold move is going. And then yeah. you'll see the fruit. Well, sure. you know what's interesting? So today we talked about post-traumatic growth, which mm-hmm. neither one of us are experts in. So, yeah, no go, way. <laughs> but, but what I want to say is that I have, I have said for years that it doesn't matter what you have done or gone through in your life. It matters what you took away from it, what you yeah. learned from the experience. And, and, but that, that requires reflection requires sitting down and going, what did I learn mm-hmm. in this shitty, horrible, interesting, difficult, whatever the experience was, what did I learn about myself or about the world or about mm-hmm. the people around me? You have to process that. Sure. And so I think about like, you can try and do that on your own on a long run, for example, mm-hmm. or you can sit down with a therapist who can help you process it. And I, you know, I have found that tremendously helpful and, um, uh, have gone to therapy at different points in my life for different reasons. You know, when I was a kid, my parents got divorced. They sent me to a therapist. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, as an adult, you know, a couple of years ago, I started going again because I realized that my cup was full mm-hmm. and I wasn't managing it. Yeah. And so it was important to go and go, okay, I got to do something here. A, because I advocate for it, but also because, hey, dummy, you are going through this life and we there's this negative st- this negative stigma when we say it's trauma yeah. but we are all uh you know human beings that are very tender and fleshy and vulnerable mm-hmm. and we can pretend we're not but i'm telling you you will be stronger and more robust by going to therapy so sure. i'm proud of you oh, well, i thanks. think it's fantastic the, um 
the less than nurturing things in our life, right? The yeah. things that didn't help us move the ball forward. Yeah. That's cumulatively, those can, those can push you off course the same way. Right. I think. So, yeah. and then when a trauma comes, you have zero capacity. Yeah. So, so, okay. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to uh -oh. pivot a little bit. Okay. You are involved with the, um, Arizona burn. Yes. Well, it's burn. Is the burn foundation? Arizona Burn Foundation. Yeah, so you're involved with the Burn Foundation. I know you go to camp every year. Mm -hmm. How did you get involved with that? Yeah, it's. Um, I'm glad we're talking about this now. After, <laughs> after, I'm I'm proud to talk about what we just talked about. But it's the. Uh, it lights me up like nothing else except my own family. Yeah, frankly, it's. Um, Arizona Burn Foundation is the. It, it it's a mixture of uh, the air I breathe. You know, um, in 2000. Or 2001, we had firefighters going to the Camp Courage, which is the children's burn survivor camp. And at the time, it was a different different program then. It's it's really grown uh, and improved. We would bring an ambulance to camp and do this really lengthy standby as part of just assistance. And so I I signed up for a couple days of that. And uh, what I experienced there has probably formed the next 20 years more than many things. Yeah. It just taught me humility. It taught me that anything good that's happened to me probably wasn't me. Because here's these children that had a thing sometimes purposefully happened to them yeah. uh, that was beyond their control. They contributed nothing but the place they were in. So the flip side of that is, huh, that didn't happen to me and some of these good things. So it, it is a yearly brain uh, reboot when you see the strength of both adult burn survivors and children burn survivors, seeing them thrive against everything that I feel would have set me back um, and more. Because the, often the demographic of a childhood burn, it's not the greatest situation many times. Family life, things like that. So they're overcoming a lot and things I can't even fathom Yeah, uh, that I didn't have to deal with. So it blew my doors off being there and seeing this and seeing these people that at the time, all it seemed like, wow, they're just showing up for these kids. And this magic is happening at this camp. Um, there's of course a lot more as I've come to realize after being involved for so long. So then I came back as, um, sort of a logistics helper. It's a huge logistics endeavor. Oh yeah. I they, bet. they set up like a middle, mini city out in the woods outside of Prescott at a camp. And, uh, so I helped with that for years and then got into the young adult and leader and training program, which is the teens. So they have kids that go to camp courage that are depending on when a, a family will let them go, maybe around five all the way to 16. Um, and then they can go to this other program, which runs concurrently at the same location. It's yeah. intermixed, which is called LIT. It's leaders in training. I started assisting with that and then took it over. Uh, we've been doing that with teens and young adults, um, leading that with a great team for it's got to be 10 years or so. Um, and that curriculum is teaching how to be a counselor mm -hmm. as you transition from being the person served 
at camp to then serving the community, their tribe, their burn community, along with uh, basic leadership skills, life skills of which um, sadly are a lot of times lacking. Everything from here's how to conduct, here's how to sit still for an interview. Mm. Here's how to communicate, conflict resolution. Um, there's also some really great art therapy things that we have people come in for. Really just to set them up to be citizens and thrive. Because um, those kids and young adults, they're really on their heels in life a lot of times with all the things that are just sort of pressuring against them to keep their momentum or keep them from having momentum anyway. So yeah, that turned into helping in many areas with, with Arizona Burn Foundation. The young adult thing and the leader in training thing for sure. What's really cool is last year we went to the National Ability Center in Park City, Utah. They do um, adaptive skiing, adaptive bike riding. So if I don't have a limb, if my hands, or if I have limitations, which many burn survivors do yeah those aren't limitations anymore nice and so we went skiing we went bike riding we did all these things in park city and um, we partnered with the university of utah burn center um, with their group and took took eight eight young adults from arizona met eight from utah that's cool last year and we're actually going to do it again in january Very so it's cool. been really great yeah it's oh, a great that's awesome. great organization i love what? it what is something that, or how can, how can people get involved or provide support or. Yeah. If you're in Arizona or not, um, you can go to the, it's Arizona burn.org online. They also have a Facebook and uh, Instagram presence to all the social medias <laughs> all, anywhere where you pick up social media. There's uh, ways on their website to donate, you know, they are a nonprofit organization that works mm-hmm. closely with the two different burn centers in Arizona. Yeah. Um, there's myriad volunteer opportunities that yeah. can be everything. It can be very daunting to jump into a thing like that. So yeah, like you don't have to go to camp and help out for a week. Right. You can go and do one thing. You can do a smoke detector walk yeah. in a neighborhood, even your neighborhood. You can do a phone call thing. You could be a camp counselor. You could, do anything yeah. well it's they, they uh this is gonna be too late by the time this by the time this podcast is airing but mm-hmm. just right currently as we sit here they're doing a firefighter cook-off challenge they are right and so yep. while i was sitting in class today i <laughs> donated some money to that <laughs> there you go. because uh, there was a challenge put on the table so I'm, i jumped in and um those are those are different things you can do for sure yeah the arizona fire service has has been partnered with yeah. ABF for many, many years. And that partnership is, is growing. In fact, if you're an Arizona firefighter camp this year, which will be in June every year, it's the first or second week of June in Prescott on the Friday of that week, there's a firefighter day. Firefighters from really all over the state will come up. Some will bring an apparatus, but they'll just do games on this field um, nice. for the kids. And it, it, it many times ends up, turning into a, a little bit fight. of a water fight because um, it's very hot up there even that <laughs> even in Prescott that time of year so yeah if you're interested in that there's information on there too and that's a it's amazing the low level time commitment and the low level money that people can give that they would think would be inconsequential but the impact is huge yeah so you can go there for four hours 
and you're affecting a hundred kids lives positively. Yeah. It's just, it's an, and it's to say it's um, not fulfilling would be a lie. And to be, to think that's selfish is something that I've learned over time to disregard because if I'm fulfilled from doing it, if it's filling me up, if it's lighting me up, then I can help them um, and continue the mission too. So yeah. that's one part I've always thought selfishly this, I can't imagine not going, right. um, but I think it's not selfish. And now my son goes wow. as a counselor. So it's pretty cool. Kind of brainwashed him into it. That's, great. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a couple of rapid fire questions Uh-oh. and we'll pull this, Hit it. pull this to a close. Um, what is, what is one thing, one piece of advice you've been given that is just horrible, horrible piece of advice you've been given? Ooh. I've been modeled a lot of poor like fit advice before. Um, it's funny. It, it's just one. It's, I don't know how pointed it is. And it may be because of our curriculum here. But anyway, one of them, um, the us, them within uh, an emergency services organization was day one, just hammered into me um, by leaders, quote, unquote. And I am not that way. Anyway, <laughs> the us, them, even early you mean on. mean like the, the exec staff versus the yeah, floor? Yeah, like kind administrators, of dispatchers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of that was modeled behavior too. It was like, Oh, what are they parking in our spot for? I guess you can go help them. And like with just dripping disdain, you know, Oh no, we don't go to the puzzle palace. Right. Oh, if you go to station one, which is where our admin and you get out of there quick, you know, <laughs> don't go upstairs where the chiefs are, you know, all that whole thing. So that was modeled. And, um, but it was pretty explicit at first. The, it's funny talk about mental health, which just popped in. Um, where early on we had, um, uh, CISM team thing. And this was right before I got on it. And my captain said, we don't do that to me. Nice. So in, in hindsight, even though that model was applied in flawed ways throughout our industry, and it was a one size fits all thing for many organizations. So a lot of people look at that as, as a bad thing anyway, but it has its place. Yeah. But at the time it had no place and I was directed to not do it. That'd be one. Um, yeah. I think to the uh this popped in my head too sorry the uh idea that as you're training a person you have to add this fake anxiety to the learning process which is counter to learning so it would um it's the the person who hasn't had enough sets to understand how to do the thing that now you're adding the yelling the uh noise the whatever they haven't learned it yet right even to an under the level of understanding that they could do it on their own without direction. And now we're adding a stimulus that creates the anxiety and the emotion. So now you stop the learning process and then we measure them. That's a failure. What am I going to do with this person? But we didn't even, we don't understand education and how humans learn. That's a piece that was like, no, 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 we're going to do it right now. It's like, he's brand new. Right. I, don't th- I think we should, he doesn't know. Of course he's not going to do well. You know, even early, I I knew that, and that was maybe not given as advice, but that was definitely something modeled. That mm. it's just a it's and it's so counterintuitive and counter mission. Like, what are you doing? No wonder. Oh, now they're gonna wash out. Oh, go figure. <laughs> you know? Okay, let me let me ask you another one. What is something that 
um, has surprised you in life so far? Ooh. In life. Yeah. Well, a recent one that's um, uh, wonderful. Uh, the mystical nature of being a grandpa. <laughs> Yeah. It's everything they say. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I was very surprised that you nice. love something like that with no strings attached. That'd mm-hmm. be one. Um, okay. Here's another one. Yeah. What does it mean to you to be fire ground fit? Hmm. To get fire ground fit or to be. Yeah, however you want to interpret either way. Or. Okay. Yeah. No, I think the question was, what does it mean to you to be fire ground fit? Okay. That's a little bit both then. Um, much of what we talked about already. Yeah. I think it starts a humility, vulnerability to admit I'm not there yet. So a continuous learning mindset, mm-hmm. you might say growth mindset or whatever, mm-hmm. um, which is so hard to pull off all the time, obviously. Um, your head has to be right. And I get we're not always right. Like here I am just telling you that it's all a process with me personally. So you're not. And you're not, a grandfather. I know. It's not complete. <laughs> and that's okay on all these things. So I think being fire. Fire ground fit. Fire ground fit. Sorry. I thought here I was going to say it wrong. This is the name of the podcast. I know it <laughs> is, but I didn't want to say it wrong. And here I am overdoing it. So, so being fire ground fit. Yeah. You don't arrive, I don't think. I think it's a trajectory because if I put a goal, what do I do after that, right? So there's a baseline, I imagine, but your head has to be in the right space. Starting from that vulnerable spot, admitting I'm not there yet, growing. Of course, there's a physical component to it, um, but... I think there's a fitness component. Like, are you fit for this mm-hmm. in that, that way? Um, that also promotes that to who you're with. Um, like I, it's, you know, we, it seems like we do everything in teams or should, um, modeling it would be, cause that's also enriching and helpful too. Yeah. I think there is a physical component, a wellness physically, but it has to be a mindset thing too. So always learning, uh, being teachable, yeah, and and communicating well. I think that's the thing that blows up the world. We are horrible communicators, even as I've stumbled through this. <laughs> as you but, did your rapid fire questions. Yeah, I don't know if that. All right, what's one question you have for me? Ooh, let's see. What lights you up? What's your, what's a thing that makes you go? Oh yeah. Love that. I'm glad you asked. This question. <laughs> oh, that's too easy. <laughs> um, I, mm, that's a great question. Okay, so by the way, FYI, this is the first time I've ever asked this question on the podcast. What? I've never done this before. So you got to put that in. I've there. Never reversed <laughs> the tables. Yes. Um, so what lights me up? Uh, I, I, on, there's multiple things here. So when I think about the fire service, when um, when we are training and we are all in and we are um, focused on the mission and and the entire crew is in lockstep Mm. that fires me up i love that when people show up and they're engaged and they care 
that lights me up. Mm-hmm. Off the fire ground, you know, in life, it, with my family, when I go to an event, a family event, or I walk into the living room and I hear my family laughing, mm. um, that just just brings joy to my heart. Nice. And and it's it's interesting because when I think of that, I sometimes I think that it's not as often or frequent as I would like. And so I, I go, man, why, why is that missing? Hmm. But that's what lights me up. That's cool. Yeah. And so it chokes me up actually as I think about it. Oh, thanks for so. sharing. <laughs> I mean it. Thank you so much, man, for being, uh, sitting down with me and, and talking and spending some time and sharing your time and talents with us. Oh, and, uh, yeah. No, if somebody you. wants to, to catch you on social media, where would they find you at? I'm on each one. I, I do not remember my, uh, <laughs> little handles but um i'm on linkedin buzz lakowski it probably right. says eric buzz lakowski because that's my who's that guy full name <laughs> and then uh instagram all right it's uh, buzzsaw511 right on thanks buzz yeah thank you hey folks that's all we have for today thank you so much for tuning in to the fireground fitness podcast special thanks to buzz for sharing your time and talents with us my brother If you are enjoying the Fireground Fitness Podcast, get on over to whatever platform it is you enjoy. Subscribe. The episode will drop in the middle of the night when you least expect it. Also, get on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the podcast. That helps drive traffic over here and gets uh, gets us into more people's ears, uh, hopefully sharing some cool stuff and lessons learned with them. Now, the most important thing is that you take the lessons you've learned here today, you go and you apply them in your life in some meaningful way. Take care of the community. Take care of the fire service. Take care of your brothers and sisters. Go on out there. Get some.